It really is always our desire that when we come, we don't just go through the normal routines and patterns and, and do church, but we want to draw near to you. We want to really worship you. We want to truly sing your praises. We want to recognize and remember deeply and profoundly the reality and riches of Christ Jesus as we take the Lord's Supper. And we want, as your word is preached, for it not to just be the, the sermon time or the preaching time, but we want it to be a time when our hearts and our minds are truly engaged by your word where your spirit opens to us understanding and clarity and application. God, that we might grow in grace and truth. Lord, we pray that your word would have its good and necessary effect even in this time in our own hearts and lives. God, grant that I would speak your word faithfully and clearly. Give your people ears to hear. Grant us understanding and appreciation for who you are and for what you've revealed to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today it's the second half of 1 Samuel chapter 6, following on what we've seen before. Now, there had been that battle between Israel and the Philistines. And in that battle, the Philistines had defeated Israel in the first one. And they thought they had the solution to win to bring the Ark of the Covenant out there. And surely if they bring the Ark of the Covenant out, then they will have victory over them. Well, they brought the Ark of the Covenant out. And the rout and destruction of Israel just increased manifold. The priests who brought it out, the wicked sons of Eli, were put to death as God said they would be. And the ark itself was taken away by the Philistines. These people who instead of hoping in God and following him and worshiping him and loving him, thought they could use God, manipulate him and control him for their purposes. They thought that somehow that the power was in the box or in the ark as opposed to the power being God. And when they were with him, God would be with them. But when they walked away, God would judge them and give them over to their enemies, which is what happened. And then that ark was went, went over to the Philistines. And as it was there, they thought in their minds, they, their God must be greater than the God of the Israelites because they won. And the Israelites who had brought their ark that they thought represented their God had lost. So they brought that ark and they put it into their temple next to their God that we commonly refer to with the word Dagon. As it went into that temple, God determined to show himself mighty, though he's not the box or in the box, but he determined to show himself, and he basically caused that statue to fall down in poses of worship before him, before he also severed the heads and hands and put them at the door and basically showed their God to be absolutely mindless, inadequate, impotent. And very strong. And, and beyond that, then God began to judge the Philistines for their arrogance and thinking that somehow their God was greater than, than the true God who has revealed himself in Scripture and who had made Israel his old covenant people. 
and God began to afflict them with tumors and ravages of mice in the fields. And when one city was facing a hardship, they sent it off to the next city. And as soon as it got to that city, it, it began to face the same problems exponentially. And then to another city, and it happened even more. Till finally they said, we can't take this. We've got to get rid of this ark. We've got to send it back to Israel because it's going to kill us. This God is going to destroy us. Their priests themselves said we need to get rid of this because both our people and our gods are being afflicted by them and in all that we recognized here they had evidence that the God that the ark represented it was not a God it was not an idol but the God that the ark represented the true God was more powerful than all of their people, all of their leaders, all of their gods. There's nothing they could do to overcome him. And yet, instead of turning to him, saying, what's the use of all of our useless gods? Get rid of them. Let's worship the God of Israel because he's proven himself mighty in the darkness of men's hearts, in, the, in the, their inability to understand the difference between truth and error. They said, no, let's send him away so that we and our gods don't face any more problems. And they also put a test there, just to test whether or not this is God and not accidental or coincidence or chance that's working here. We're going to take this um, Ark of the Covenant and we're going to add to it some golden tumors and golden mice. And we're going to put them in a box and we're going to put it on a new cart. And then we're going to put two milking cows and yoke them together who have never been yoked before. We're going to take their calves back home and we're going to just put them out there and say, all right, go and see what happens. And they were saying that if the cart and cows go back to Israel, then we know that it is the God that has done this to us. If it doesn't, then we know it was just chance. Now they worked the scenario so that the practical likelihood of cows who have never been yoked, milking cows, not field oxen, milking cows whose, whose calves were gone away from them, that in theory you might think they'd go searching for them, uh, it seemed impossible. But God often is pleased to show himself able to do what seems impossible to men. And those milking cows, they went right on the road. They didn't turn right or left. They didn't waver. They didn't veer. They seemed to be singing as they went, you know, lowing as they went, and right on, right into Beth Shemeth, right into Israel, right up into the field of Joshua, which speaks of God who saves, God who delivers, right up to the field of Joshua next to a big rock and stopped. And that's where we take it up today. And uh, it, it's a moment of, of great excitement. Indeed, it tells us, and we see the first thing here is, let us look at the rejoicing in chapter uh, 6, verse 13. It said this, 
Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping the wheat harvest in the valley. When they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. They were overflowing with excitement. The ark is back. It's come back. Because you have to realize this. They lost it because the Philistines were stronger than them. Militarily, they were often always stronger than them. The victories that Israel from time to time experienced was the hand of God mightily enabling and delivering them. And so here comes the ark back. And for, for all of the people of Israel, they, who knows what they would have been going through. The ark has been taken. What's happened to it? Maybe it's been broken in pieces. Maybe it's been demolished. Maybe we'll never see it again. How will we get it back? We don't even know where they've taken it. What sort of, how strong would we need to be to be able to not overwhelm them, to, but to go right into their fortified cities and get this? It's likely that the children of Israel were thinking, I don't know if we'll get the ark back in our generation. I don't know if we'll ever see it again. Yeah, because the practical way that things generally would have been done, if we just use our own minds for a moment, the ark was taken away, and, it, and, and all the children of Israel were upset about that and lamented. Eli was upset about it. Uh, the, the wife of, of one of Eli's daughter-in-law, uh, Eli's son's wife, she died even with that sense the glory of God is taken away, the ark is gone. So the, the, the questions would have been going around among the, the leaders and elders of that community, how are we going to get the ark back? Anyone got any plans to get the ark back? What do we do? And it seems that as time goes by, they had one solution. There's nothing we can do. Right now, we don't have the ways, we don't have the means. There were, there were, we have no recordings of attempted infiltrations, uh, uh, attempted, they, they understood, we can't do it. And I like that. To this extent, do, does God need men to deliver him? Oh no, they've taken God. What will we do? We have to help him. We have to save him. Does that make any sense? It's God. There is no saving him. Ultimately, there's no need that he has. Our privilege to be able to serve him and to be used of him, oh, what a wonderful blessing. But he doesn't need anything of men's hands and so he, as they're there and their life has begun to continue for them seven months have passed by and the ark has not returned and they're moving they're into their wheat harvest now and here they are just doing their normal daily things and out of nowhere here comes the ark here comes these cows and you would have known they were coming because they were lowing as they went and so you, it would have been an attention-drawing thing. What is this? There's no one leading them. There's no one guiding them. And the ark is sitting on there. And here it comes, right into town, right into the field of Joshua. And there it stops. And they are rejoicing. This is great. Look what God has done. The ark has come back to us. Wonderful. Their hearts were 
full, overflowing, ecstatic, exuberant, excited, emotional. They were filled with a, a sense of thrill and amazement. And, and it says this in verse 14, and the cart came into the field and it stopped there and the great stone was there. And in all of this moments of excitement, uh, the cow and the carts come and they get excited. They're filled with rejoicing and they take these cows and carts. Now, th this was known as a city that had a lot of Levites, okay? So that it was one of the, the places where Levites lived. And so the Levites took the cart down and they took the little box full of golden mice and tumors down. And in their exuberance and in their excitement, they broke this cart in pieces and then they took these cows and they sacrificed them. To the Lord. Well, God brought us these cows. Let's make a sacrifice. And they just, with the fullness of their heart, full of rejoicing, chop up this cart, begin to make their sacrifices. Uh, absolutely overflowing with, with uh, excitement. Listen to what it says. Uh, the wood of the cart. They offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took the ark down beside the box, the golden figurines, the great stone, and the men of Beth Shemeth, so people just gathering in droves offered burnt offerings and sacrifices on that day to the Lord. It was a day of worship and rejoicing. Which seems great, doesn't it? I mean, I like that. It's a, God showed himself powerful. He did what they longed for but had no means of accomplishing on their own. And here was the ark. God has shown himself mighty. God has brought back his, what represents his glorious presence among us, and they start their sacrifices. Now the next section says that they were looked upon, the people who had sent it, and now they go back their way. But I want us to understand something that's going on here. And uh, for that, we I want to take the rejoicings that we see there, lots of excitement, lots of thrill, but what's, what you're not noticing in there is they completely abandoned, in, in, in light of their rejoicing, they've completely abandoned all of God's regulations. We're excited. Here's some cows. Let's sacrifice these cows. Let's just do this let's just, right now. We're just so, we can't wait. We can't, let's just do it. Right here, right now, and they go. Now what's interesting is you, you have things like the regulations. I won't read them in their entirety, because, uh, but I'll give you a sense of them. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3, with regard to burnt offerings, if you are, if his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. Now I'm just going to be very clear here. You know, I'm not a specialist in animals or in cows by any means I don't have any special understanding of those but a milking cow who has calves that are taken away from her her is unlikely to be a male can we agree at least on that yeah. And so uh, the, what a burnt offering was to be, and, and again, there could be a variety of, of animals offered. He shall bring it to the tent of the Lord. It may be acceptable before, before the Lord. In Leviticus 22, it's expanded. 
chapter 22, verse 19, if it is to be accepted for you, and this is what they, they constantly, in the language of these offerings, it never said this, bring whatever you want. Do it however you want. It never said that. It often said, if it is to be accepted, do it like this. If it is to be accepted, do bring it like this. Very simple. And so the idea was, well, we can't just do whatever we want. We need to do what he wants. Really? Yes, if not, it's not accepted. It said, I'm still in Leviticus 22, 19. Uh, if, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls, which a bull is not a milking cow. Right? You're with me on that? Or the sheep or the goats, you shall not offer anything with a blemish, for it will not be accepted for you. I like that again because the language is pretty clear. All right, so it's not a male, and maybe there's a blemish. I wonder if it'll be accepted. I wonder. Do you have to wonder? What, is the, what do the rules say? It will not be accepted. Yeah, but we're so happy. I'm sure because we are doing it out of love, that should be enough. Really? Listen closely. If it's not the male of the herd without blemish, it will not be accepted. Really? Well, what if we give it with money? What if we do a dance before we give it? What if, I mean, can you, whatever you want to say, it doesn't work. It's God's way to be accepted. Any other way, not accepted. And here they were in, the, in, the, in their excitement we're so happy, let's do this for God. What they did not ask is, does he want this? Will he accept this? Is this pleasing to him? It's, it's almost as if what we do doesn't matter. All that matters is where our hearts are. Our hearts are in the right place. As long as we do it with love. As long as we're doing it, it says it there that they sacrifice them to the Lord. As long as it's to Him and for Him. But if you're doing it to Him and for Him, contrary to what He said, is it really to Him and for Him? You see the, 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 the problem that's going on there. And just one more. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, uh, what, what has happened is also they've sent this ark back. And as this ark is coming there, they t they're going to take this ark and they're going to set it there on that rock. And it says, it, it says at the beginning of verse 19, um, he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark. Now there's arguments over, well, did they look upon it or did they look into it? And then the linguists fight over exactly what it was, whether they were looking at it or whether they were looking 
in it and removed the mercy seat lid and took a peek to see if the tablets and all the things were still there and not stolen. But I tell you this, we don't have to assume that they actually looked in it because listen to Numbers chapter 4, verse 5. I'll read it even though you probably know what it says by memory. But I'll just read it to you. Numbers 4, verse 5 and 6. When the camp was to set out, when the children of Israel had set up their tabernacle and they were in the desert and moving from place to place, when they were to go, God would cause a cloud to, to rise up off of the tabernacle and he would go before them. They'd need to pack up everything within the tabernacle to go. And then specifically how the ark would be packed up, even those details were given in the verse we're looking at. When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Okay, so there was a special veil that kept the Ark of the Covenant in the sacred Holy of Holies place, separate from the rest of the temple, when they were going to set out the, the chief priest and his selected men who were in that same line would come remove that veil, and that veil would become a covering for the ark. Not only that, because that veil, well, if the light's just right, you can see through it. Well, not in this situation. Not only do they cover the ark, verse 6 says, Then they shall put on it a covering of goat skin and spread it on top of that a cloth of all blue and then shall put the poles in. Okay, so the ark was well covered in layers. It was not visible and not to be seen. Why? Well, let's think about it for a moment. The, uh, on top of the ark was the mercy seat. And on that were cherubim, which probably doesn't to many of you bring an immediate picture to mind. But these unique creatures had hands and faces and wings that were stretched out. And they, they were carved. And they were non-ordinary earthly human creatures. And so that you, you put creatures like that in front of men, and what do they begin to do? Take a guess. They worship those creatures. They begin to think that that represents their gods. No, those actually served as those who were below at the base of. That was the mercy seat. They were at the feet of our God. They're, they're his footmen. But nonetheless... Cover it up so that these men can't begin to get their, their sense of idolatry stirred up. So no one was, so how many people would have ever looked on the ark? Very few. And even Aaron is told, Aaron cannot come at any time and look on the ark. Once a year. Even the chief priest chosen man gets to go in and do it once a year. And before he does, there, there, there's uh, this list of things he has to do to consecrate himself. 
It's, it's interesting that the ancient stories and traditions of chief priests say that the priest ultimately who would have that privileged responsibility subsequent to Aaron down the road, in case he was not good enough or not pure enough or not fit enough, they would actually equip him with a bell around his neck so that they could hear him moving around in there and tie a rope to his waist. So that if, hello, are you there? Are you, is everything okay? If he wasn't rightly consecrated, if he didn't follow the rituals obediently and God struck him, no one would have to go in there because if someone went in there to get him, you know, next person goes in to get him, down. It would be a mess. So they kept a rope to be able to drag that fellow out of there if he died. That, that's how sacred the place and object was in the minds of the children of Israel. Here, it came back. God is merciful. All right. Means they, their first step should have been, let us cover the ark. You know, those whose goal was immediately to cover it, I have a doubt if they had, oh no, I accidentally, inadvertently caught a glimpse of it. Whether that would have been the end of them or not, I don't know. But I know this, they looked. And nobody covered it up. And they gathered other people together and they looked. And in the presence of this ark, they were offering burnt sacrifices and sacrifice uh, offerings. Now, the second among those terms there, um, uh, uh, at the end of verse 15, they offered burnt offerings and, and it said, and sacrificed sacrifices. Now that may sound redundant to you, yes? Indeed, the nature of those particular sacrifices became to a large extent like a cookout, right? Certain portions were dedicated to God, the rest were for the family and the people gathered to eat. So this, this became quite a, an event. People gathering together, some, they sacrificed what shouldn't have been sacrificed, they're having like a cookout feast going on there, and they're all looking at this Ark of the Covenant. What is the result of that? So we see there's rejoicing. Their heart seems to be in the right place, but we see that with regard to the regulations, they're not doing it right. They're sacrificing whatever they want to, and they're looking upon the ark in a way that they shouldn't. But in all that, they're still so happy. But we see the results of it, and this is um, quite tough. In verse 19, and he, that is the Lord, struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark. Now, there is a textual challenge within this. Those who have newer translations, it will say that he struck seven, 70 of them. Those who have older translations, it will say he struck 50,070 of them. Okay. And when you, with all of that, you've got all these different opinions, and some say, well, it's interesting because the way that it's worded is not the way numbers are usually worded in the Hebrew. 
the 70 is mentioned before the 50,000 as opposed to the 50,000 before the 70. So it, it, it's confusing and there's no other precedent like that in the scriptures. So some have thought that it, it represents a percentage. This many out of 50,000 uh, ended up being 70 that was there. And so these men are going to fight and fight over and over. Some will say, well, there weren't even 50,000 in Beth Shemesh, let, around, let alone the surrounding territory. And this is all happening on the day the ark arrived. So there's no way that it's 50,000. So it must be this and it must be that. And they're getting caught up in the, in the, in the wrong idea. Uh, the, the idea that needs to be kept in mind is this. The people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. That's the point. Well, it, if 70 is a great blow in that small uh, uh, agricultural village, then that's fine. If it was 50,000 because for some reason it being... Uh, the wheat harvest, if a, a ton of migrant workers had descended on the area, we don't need to fight over the numbers. The, the key thing in this passage isn't exactly how many died. It's that it was a great blow and it was the Lord who did it. That's what need, it ought not, cannot be lost. I want to draw your attention also briefly. Jump in your Bibles over to 1st Chronicles chapter 13 just because I want to show you that this is a what we see is not unique but a clear pattern that God is a, is showing here it, um, however great the um, rejoicing however good the intentions however sincere the people are sincerity on its own right zeal and exuberance in its own place is not enough okay in chapter 13 of first chronicles we also are having a circumstance with the ark here the ark at the end of this chapter it will be moved from beth shemeth to kiriath jerem and in that place kiriath jerem it would stay for many years until david was the king now when David's the king in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, David decides, let's bring the ark to Jerusalem. And so you'll see at the beginning of chapter 13, for example, that David consulted with the commanders of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And now I wanted to just say this for a moment. So whether or not we should or should not bring the ark from this town into Bethlehem, where did David seek consultation from? Men. Lots of men, but men. What do you guys think? This is what I want to do. What might have been a better plan? Seek the Lord. We, we, we see David doing that so many times in his ministry. David went in and sought the Lord as to what his will would be. But on this occasion, I'm going to bring the... It's just like almost in a small storeroom in a personal house there. And I'm going to bring it to Jerusalem. I'm going to put it in a proper tabernacle where, where everything, all the sacrifices, everything will be rightly reinstituted. I mean, it's a good thing that I want to do. Do you all agree it's a good thing I want to do? And all the people said, Amen. They did. 
And you can see, and, and David even says there, it's interesting, is in the statement to the assembly in verse 2. If it seems good to you, and from the Lord our God, just going to give a little bit of advice. If it seems good to the Lord our God, that's kind of where he should have stopped. Not, not if it seems good to you, because he actually says here, if it seems good to you and to the Lord, and he's, as, as it unfolds, it looks like he's assuming that what is good to the Lord will be evidenced in the majority opinion of men. I dare say that's not the way it works. And so he, he says, what do you guys think about this? In verse 4 of chapter 13, all the assembly agreed to do so. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. There it is. Well, everybody's agreed. Could everybody be wrong? I mean, there's no point in even seeking the Lord's will now because we all agree this would be what he wants. Good or bad decision? Bad decision. And they, but here they go. They decide that they're going to they're gonna do this. They go down. Verse 7 actually tells us, um, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart. On a new cart. You know the only other time the ark of God was put on a new cart? Is when it came back to Israel. Whose recommendation was it that it should be put on a new cart? The pagan priests and diviners. What was God's instruction as to how the ark was to be carried? It was to be properly covered. Poles were to be inserted into the rings that were built into it, and it was to be carried by consecrated Levites. But you see, it's a long way from Kiriath Jerem to Jerusalem. I mean, that would be unbearable to have to carry that far. It's not practical. So God's way is not practical. I mean, we understand that that's what He says, but we've got a better way. Is that going to work out? P people think like that. And, and so they just disregard God's clear instruction as to how the ark is to be transported. They follow a pagan pattern. They didn't consult the priests. They didn't consult anyone. And they're doing things in this way. And then, of course, in verse 8, it says, And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might. Just like in our chapter, they were rejoicing when that ark came. Here, they're celebrating with all their might. I mean, there shouts and singing and, 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 you know, punches into the air. As you see men celebrate at, at sporting events when an amazing touchdown or something is scored and you see all of it, they were giving it all they had. If somebody was to look upon them at that time, they would think, these people love God. God must be so pleased with them. They are worshiping, celebrating with all their might. But what they wouldn't notice is that God is looking upon it 
And though they are celebrating with the fullness of their energy and their hearts and minds, they're doing it while not attending to God's word. And so here they think, we're doing well, we're doing right, God must be pleased. But as they go, and you can see here, uh, verse nine, and I mean, you can see songs, and, and it says lyres and harps and tambourines, cymbals, trumpets. This was a loud event. Verse 9, when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. So here's the cart. It goes in this area. The, the ark of the covenant jostles a little bit on that new cart like it might topple over or topple off. And so one of the priests, Uzzah, reaches out with his hands and touches the ark. You would think, why is he doing that? To protect the ark from falling. He, he's revering it correctly. Is he supposed to touch the ark? No. Is it supposed to be on a cart? No, all these things are wrong. It, their intentions may have been good. Their excitement and overflow may have been amazing. But the fact is, with, with, they were letting their hearts lead without their heads engaged. Unacceptable. Now, I, uh, now so is the right answer just to engage your head and to be heartless? Not at all. Actually, I, for... As far as I'm concerned, if your head truly is grasping and engaged the truth of what God reveals in His Word and the salvation that is in Christ and the forgiveness and the eternal hope, there's no way your heart can't follow your head. But don't have your head follow your heart. And it's not just your head independent, it's your head attending to the Word of God, not its own thoughts and counsel. And so uh, he put out his hand and it says the Lord struck him and he died there before God. And listen to verse 11. And David was angry because the Lord broke out against Uzzah. David was angry that God did that to Uzzah. Couldn't understand. We were bringing the ark. We were doing good. We were, I mean, everybody was fully engaged in worship. And right in the middle of that, his intentions were good. And, and you went ahead and struck him anyways. David is there operating completely in the realm of man. Man's heart. Man's thoughts. We're just getting it from A to B. Our intentions are good. Our hearts are full. Well, he was angry with God, and not only was he angry with God, verse 12 says, um, and David was afraid of God that day. So a big change. Now go over with me, if you would, to chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles. As some time has passed, David decides to try again to bring the ark into Jerusalem, and look, with, look in verse 2 with me, if you would, of 1 Chronicles 15. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. Here we go. You know, it, it, it's, it's sad that it, it took 
a death, David becoming angry, confused, frustrated, and afraid for him to move towards maturity that when he goes to do it again, what does he do? What does God say? If we're going to move this, what is the way that is acceptable to God? Okay, these men have to do it. And then he also goes down in verse 12, and he said to them, you are the heads of your father's houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Verse 13 of 1 Chronicles 15. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. But we sought him with our whole hearts. Okay. But you didn't seek him according to the rule. So is it just according to the rule and not with our whole hearts? No, it's not one or the other. It's both. You seek him according to the rule with your whole hearts. And and they engage themselves in it. They go through the process as to what needs to be done. It's a lengthy journey for these Levites to have to make carrying the ark. But look what it says in chapter 15, verse 26. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord... They uh, sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams and, and clothes. So it was brought in, and here's how it was brought all the way there successfully. God helped the Levites who carried the ark. They're not going to be able to make it. Those specific designated ones, it's too long of a journey. They'll wear out. Is that right? Well, the children of Israel learned in the wilderness clothing. And sandals can go 40 years without wearing out. Is that not right? God is not bound by those ways. And so these men pick it up. And as they carry it, as you would expect them, they're going to wear out. They're going to get tired. You guys are doing okay? Yeah, we're fine actually. How about now? You guys need to, need to take a break? We're fine. Because God helped them. Uh, uh, men think well God's way is impractical we may we maybe will help him by doing it with a cart rather than his way because that way wouldn't work well you do it God's way do you know what you get to see the power of God on display you know what you get to experience the help of God if you do it your way you know what you get your way you might get a you might get a celebration you might get a cookout but you're not necessarily going to be pleasing in the sight of God. And so David learned that lesson, and we see, we see that same thing, that same pattern, rejoicing, celebration, and sacrifices. We see that there are regulations that apply to it that they simply disregarded. By disregarding those regulations, the result was death, punishment. You know, it, we don't do things our way I, I, I met a, a a woman this week who um, I was asking her um, 
did she grow up in a church? What, what church she goes to now? She's from Tyler. And she, was, she, she told me, um, I don't go to church at all. Um, me and my husband, we both don't go to church because I have certain views of who God is and what God is like and what, what worship should be like. And I haven't yet found a church that agrees with me. You know, I, I appreciate her honesty there. And, and I mean, to say that to me, knowing that I'm a pastor in a church, uh, means that she wasn't ashamed of that. She, she was genuinely convinced her views of who God is and how God should work are valid. Our views of who God is and how God should work are not valid. They don't count for anything. God reveals to us who he is. God reveals to us how he works. God reveals to us how he saves. God reveals to us how we ought to worship and seek him. God's the one who reveals these things. It's not, not a matter of one that suits me, one that agrees with me. I dare say the God that agrees with the mind of men is never going to be the God of Scripture. Because the God of Scripture, it actually tells us at the end of Romans 11, his ways are unsearchable. His judgments are inscrutable beyond finding out. So the one who thinks he's got it is missing it. And so we see that rejoicing skirting of the regulations, the result of death and judgment, and that brought about a recognition, a very useful recognition, and we see that here in verse 20. Look what it says in verse 20. Then the men of Beth Shemeth said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? That's the question they asked themselves. Who is able to stand? To stand before the Lord, this holy God. And to whom shall we send him that he'll go up from us? Their solution ended up being the same solution as the Philistines. We got to get rid of him. We, we can't be here. We can't stand in his presence. Who can stand? And that's an excellent question. And the answer is no one. None of them could come into and stand before that Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God above it. One would be singled out of all of them that could go in, and even he could only go in with proper consecration and covering because he himself was not worthy and fit to go in. But you know what Hebrews tells us? Contrary to the Old Covenant, where a priest would have to do sacrifices for his own sins and then sacrifices for the sins of the people, we have a greater high priest. We have a high priest who has been in all ways tempted, like we are, yet without sin. So you could go from the earliest days onward really if you were to look at some of what the scriptures say in psalm 143 verse 2 god's word says this enter not as he's speaking to god into judgment with your servant for no one living is righteous before you in psalm chapter 130 
He says this, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? You could go from Adam until the end of time, and you'll find only one born of a woman who could stand. Now here's, here's the sad thing. When this question was asked, who can stand before this holy God? The answer was, no one. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, who fulfilled the law, brought the law to an end, so that no one who is ever righteous will be righteous by the works of the law. But our righteousness will be counted to us Our acceptability to God comes not because we somehow were good enough. Because who could stand before him? Praise God. That question that they asked that they had no answer to. We have the answer, don't we? And we can shout together, there is one. It reminds us of that Romans, that Revelation 5, when, when John began to weep because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And, and he's told, weep no more. For the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, he is worthy to open the seals. He is worthy. He, he lived, he died by his sacrifice. He is able to sanctify us completely once for all time. So this is so glorious. They had no answer. They had no hope. Their only hope was we need to get as far away as possible or we die. But in Christ Jesus, the New Testament tells us, we approach the throne of grace with confidence. Isn't that wonderful? We can come before God with praises and petitions. We're even told in James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And we don't have to hear those words with fear. We hear them with a deep-rooted faith. I am accepted in the beloved. I am made clean because of Christ's perfection and forgiveness what (laughs) men's answers will always fail and I want to be even as clear as I can these were the Israelites they had the law they had the testimonies they had the regulations but they could not keep them they did not keep them the shortness of men's ability the consequences of disobedience and imperfection even if David and others might feel like it's too harsh the wages of sin is death but the gift of God given us in Christ Jesus is eternal life you see that And so uh, this is a a, a beautiful thing that when we consider it, that it's not enough to just have rejoicing and and do do it with your whole hearts. You have to give your heart to a humble and faithful hearing of God's word and a a striving to do what is pleasing and acceptable in his sight. Let us not end any conversation with, 
Every, it all was agreeable in the minds of the people. It all seemed good to them. Let us do, and here's the beauty. We don't, we don't focus on what seems like it would be pleasing to God. He's given us his word that tells us this is pleasing, this is this displeasing, this honors him, this dishonors him. As we give ourselves to his word with, with the fullness of the grace that is ours that we might understand it, we also then our hearts follow in that fullness. Those who worship God will worship in truth and in spirit. With our whole heart with our whole mind, with our whole strength, we will love him. So let us pray and then we will together uh, turn our attention to the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for your word. How remarkable it is to see these things. And even as they recognized that no one was fit to stand before you, God, that no one of their own is acceptable and all of our ways and thoughts will constantly be misleading God we pray that you would by your word humble us all the more that we would we would seek to know you through your word that we would seek to know your will through your word and that we would with all of the strength and grace that you are working in our hearts follow you in love and faith or we just pray um, what hope we have. I think of the desperate uh, condition of these men, the uncertainty and the difficulty as they, uh, they could not come up with answers. The consequences were too great upon them. Lord, we thank you for the surety that is ours in Jesus Christ, the great high priest, the great and perfect sacrifice without blemish. Lord, we thank you that he has accomplished all that is necessary for life and godliness. And he is our God. He is our Savior. And personally with us and in us. And he is our life and our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.